turn to the the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. If you have your Bible this morning, turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. Um, I'll tell you what, I, I I have been proclaiming God's Word as a pastor for uh, almost 30 years now, and it continues to be one of the great joys of my life. I still regard it as an incredible privilege to preach God's Word. I love God's Word. I love this book. I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor or I'm a preacher. I love God's Word. It's powerful. It speaks to us. There's no other book like it because there's no other book that is the Word of God. Someone say amen. It's powerful. It's powerful when we read it. It's powerful when we study it. It's powerful when we speak it. And it's powerful when we live it. God's Word is powerful. I'm so very grateful that God gave this Word to us. For some weeks now, we have been looking at the the persons of Elijah and Elisha. Uh, their, Their names sound somewhat similar but their ministries were in many ways very different. In fact, their personalities between the two persons were somewhat different. But these two men uh, who lived a long time ago, about 2,800 years ago, these two men were mightily used of God to speak to a culture that was increasingly contrary to God's plan. In that way, they have a a world much like our world today. And Elijah and Elisha, these two people who overlapped ministry for about 10 years but had significant ministries on their own, these two persons were not only used in calling people back to God, but they were also used in the miraculous. It's one of the things that really identifies their ministries. They would go and they would pray or God would use them in some miraculous ways. And so in the last couple of weeks, particularly with Elisha, Elijah has gone up into heaven. He was taken away by a whirlwind accompanied by a chariot of fire, the Bible tells us. And and Elisha is continuing on this ministry and it's one that is marked by the miraculous. If you were here last week, you you heard me share a little bit, give some some categories of the miraculous. You have several different categories. You have miracles of provision and miracles of healing and miracles of protection and miracles of deliverance and miracles surrounding nature and, and about five different categories that every miracle, almost every miracle in the Bible will fall under one of those five categories. There's a few others like the one last week where it kind of falls outside of that, but even last week's miracle, the one about how how God supernaturally used some bears, while that wasn't healing, it was God's judgment, but it was in a sense a miracle of nature. So you see these different miracles in Scripture. The reason that I spend just a few moments, even before we get into the text, talking about the miraculous is that just as God used those people back then, 2,800 years ago, just as God used them to call the people around them back to God, and God uses us in that way, so God can use us in the miraculous. If we were to go around this room and begin to recount some of the miracles of God in in our lives, we would be here a very long time. In fact, no joke, I I could probably share at length for two or three hours 
the miracles that God has operated on in my life. The, the point, however, is not to draw attention to my story or your story, but it's to point to the power of God. Miracles continue to happen today. The thing about miracles, I don't become so um, uh, enamored by the miraculous as much as I am enamored by the one who makes the miracles happen. It's the power of God, but it's, it's the, the love of God behind that. But I've seen the miraculous. Many of you have seen miracles. You've seen God heal and deliver and provide and protect and direct. You've seen God work in supernatural ways. So when we read this, whenever you might go into the Bible, but as we read it today, I want you to understand that what happened then, God can do today. This chapter, this chapter, 2 Kings chapter 4, contains the true story of a desperate person who received a miracle of God and her part in that miracle. That's very important. We will see a miracle of God, but we will also see her part in that. So let's read this. All right, let's go. Let's read this. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 reads this way. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. She said, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Now, that, that's just one verse, but there's a lot there. This verse shows us that this woman, along with her husband, first of all, it shows us that this woman, along with her husband, had not surrendered to the idol worship that had consumed their culture. Notice the first line there, the wife of a man from the company of prophets. What does that mean? This was a group of people who, who were were used of God under the leadership of first Elijah and then Elisha. They were, they were people that had not given in to the idol worship of the majority of the people around them. And so this set them apart. What we know from that one line is that this, this was a woman, she and her husband had trusted God and honored God when the people around them did not. And I point that out because while this verse also points out about some of the real difficult things in her life, this was a woman who honored God. This was a woman, she and her husband had honored God when others had not. Nevertheless, she was in a desperate place. Look at this again. This tells us, just this one verse tells us that this woman's husband is dead. Her debts were insurmountable. And to pay the debt, her sons were to be sold into slavery. Now you think about those three different things. You see them all there before you. Her husband is dead. Some of you know, many of you know, the unique and almost overwhelming pain of losing a spouse. That is so very, very difficult. This woman was feeling that. She was experiencing that pain. She, was, she, she felt that. She, she knew what it was like to lose someone close to her. 
She also felt this weight of this insurmountable debt. We don't know the backstory. We don't know how they came into this debt. Apparently something had been borrowed or uh, something had been lost or a, a payment had to be made and, 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 and the debt was insurmountable. And some of you know that as well. And you, you know what it's like to have this, this huge debt that you, you're, you, every day you can't escape it. And every day you're reminded, how can we get beyond this? But then it also says that her two sons were to be sold into slavery to pay for that debt. Now that's how it was at that time. I don't like it, but it's how it was. Her sons were to be sold in. Now, I don't know which one of these was more painful. I suspect it would be this last one. These are the only family members she has left in this world, but she's about to lose her two sons. By the way, her two sons were the, the, the hope of future provision, right? That's how it was. Sometimes still is. It's, it's those children who are going to help me in my old age. It's my children who are going to help me when that difficult time. It's my children who are going to walk with me now that my husband is gone. But she's about to lose her sons. Some of you know what it's like to perhaps lose a child or to, 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 to see, have a, a child taken away. That, but this woman is experiencing all of those. She has the grief of losing her husband, the weight of financial burden, and the, and the almost terror of the possibility of losing her children. So she comes to the man of God. She comes to Elisha. Verse 2 begins this way. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Now, there's two statements there. First of all, he says, tell me. Uh, or excuse me, how can I help you? Now, there, there's two different ways that we can look at this. It would be, one would be <clears throat> kind of like a person who has great resources and someone comes to them and that person were to say, how can I help you? In other words, I have all of this financial backing behind me and, and it's like going to a banker and the banker says, how can I help you? And they're, they're there to help. Or it could be like, this person has no financial backing, this person has no resources, and you come to a person and you say, I have this need, and they say, well, how can I help you? <laughs> I think this is more the latter than the former. This is, this is the, the, the man of God saying, I have no resources, how can I help you? This is the guy, by the way, Elisha, who once had a pretty good job, right? He, he was a farmer, but he, he, he burned his plow and he slaughtered the oxen. Remember that? <laughs> I don't think that he thought this, but he thought, oh man, maybe I should have sold it and I could give the money to this lady. That's not what happened. So when he said, how can I help you? It's not that he was backed up by a bunch of resources and he was prepared to help her. It's he had no resources and, and he's asking a legitimate question. How can I help you? Now it's right between those two statements that I think he had a word from the Lord. I, I think... The Spirit of God spoke to him because he makes this statement. He says, tell me what is in your house. Tell me what you have in your house. Tell me what you have in your house. In other words, what we have here within the span of just two sentences, you have a person saying, I can't help you, but he turns it around and he says two times, he uses you or your, what do you have in your house? Now, please notice, we're talking about the miraculous, but there's no mention of God yet. 
There's no demonstration of God's power yet. Elisha is simply saying, I don't have the resources, but what is in your house? What do you have in your house? Verse 2 continues with her reply. She said, your servant has nothing there at all except a little oil. She said, your servant has nothing there at all except a little oil. You know, words are important. And I see the words that she used. She, uh, again, you see them before you. She says, your, your servant has nothing at, oil, uh, at all, but then almost as an afterthought, except just a, a, little, a little bit of oil. And I, I brought some oil. What would, have, what, have, what would have been the oil back then? Well, it would have been olive oil, and this is olive oil. And uh, I, I, I don't know how much she had, but it was just a little, right? She, just just one, one small container wouldn't have been this, but I think it would have been something like this, right? The, the, the clay jar of her time is the, the mason jar of our time. And, and, and when, I, when I read this story, I think of about this much, not very much, especially for three people. It's the only thing of value that she had in her home. Perhaps everything else had been sold to mitigate this debt. This was the only thing of value. This was valuable. It it was used in cooking. It was used uh, in medicine. It was used in lighting. It was was something of value. It, It cost something and could be traded for something. But if this is all you have, then you don't get rid of that because that's all you really have to live on. And she said, your servant, your servant has nothing there at all except a little oil. Now, I think of this statement here. She first says nothing, and then, and then she says, well, just a little. And I, I kept rolling this around. As I was studying this, I thought, nothing and little. You know, we have an expression, I have, I have little or nothing. You ever heard that expression? I have little or nothing. <laughs> What do you have? Little or nothing. How much money do you have? Little or nothing. How much time do you have? Little or nothing. Right? We, when, when, when we talk about the limitations that we have, we often use those, those same words. Well, I have little or I have nothing. I'm tapped out. I have nothing less. I have just a little bit and I don't have very much of that. Just a little don't raise your hands, but have you ever used that expression? Or even in recent weeks, have you used that expression little or nothing? And yet, he draws her attention to that. He picks up on that. And, and, and I, I want you to get a hold of that because here's this little and there's this nothing. And yet, I have found that God can do amazing things with little or with nothing. In fact, there's an equation that I want you to see, a simple equation describing an eternal truth throughout the Word is this. Our little or nothing plus God's power equals enough. Our Little or nothing plus God's power equals enough. Now, we haven't seen God's power. We haven't seen God's power displayed yet. What we have, all we have here in this second verse is a woman saying, I have nothing or, wait a minute, I have a little of something. 
That's all we have at this point. But when, when we have, if that's all we start with, but it is combined with the power of God, then it becomes enough. And in this case, more than enough, as we're about to see. This is a principle that runs throughout Scripture. I, was, I referenced a few moments ago, during the offering, I, I referenced this man named Abraham. I mean, here's this man who, up in his years, late in his life, God speaks to him about, about having a, being, being the father of many nations. And, and, and he looks at his age, he looks at his body, he looks at his wife's age and her body, and, and, and he's, he's saying, there's nothing there. We're beyond childbearing years. That's an impossibility. How can that be? And yet, even with those limitations, God created something from that. God begins with very little, but he can make something great out of that. Do you know that every Jewish person, there are some here this morning, every person with any degree of, of Jewish blood in you, boy, you are so blessed to know that this is, you came, that's your great, 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 however many greats, grandfather. All of the Jewish people around the world today came from that person. There's a nation called Israel that's named after Abraham's grandson, but it all started with little or nothing. There's a man named David. You know his story, uh, or some of his story. One of the big events from his story is there's a giant that is intimidating the people of Israel, the, the, the army of the, uh, of the Jewish people. And, 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 and David is the one person who goes against him, and what does he go against that giant named Goliath? What does he go against him with? a sling and five stones. When he went and faced the giant that day and eventually prevailed, what did he go with? Little or nothing? <laughs> See, that's a principle that runs throughout the Bible. In the New Testament, you have uh, the disciples come to Jesus and said there's this vast multitude. We know that there were thousands of people and all they had was just a kid's sack lunch that his mother had probably prepared for him. A few small loaves of bread, a few small pieces of fish. That's little or nothing, but God made enough. A little or nothing combined with the power of God not only became enough, it became more than enough. And I say that because there are times when we look at our limitations and we look at our house or the things within our house or the things within our, our means or the things within our savings or the lack of it or the things within our time or our abilities and we, and we go, I, I have hardly nothing. Sometimes it is our abilities. We say, well, I don't have nearly the abilities or the giftings that that person has. I have little or nothing. But I'll tell you what, when you submit what you have, however small it might be, to the power of God, great things can come from it. And, and the miracle hasn't even started yet. Or actually it has begun. She's receiving this and she's declaring what there is, but the miracle is really still ahead. In verse 3, Elisha said this. Go, and I, Again, he's, he's speaking from the Lord. This is the, the Lord's directive. It's not Elisha's. He said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. This is the directive. It wasn't Elisha's mad idea. This was a word from God through the prophet Elisha to this woman. 
Now, you, you think about this scene, just these, these statements here in verses 3 and 4. It could not have been easy for this woman to borrow people's empty jars. Imagine this scene. Would you imagine her going to that first neighbor? And she knocks on the door. And the neighbor comes to the door. And the woman says, Hello, neighbor. May I borrow some of your empty jars? And the neighbor says, Well, absolutely. Come on in. So sorry to hear about your husband. I have some empty jars and I'll be glad to loan them to you. May I ask, what are you going to do with the jars? The woman says, well, I'm going to put oil in them. The neighbor says, oil? Where, where will you find something so valuable and precious as oil? The woman says, well, God will provide. So the gracious neighbor loans her the jars and she or maybe her sons are carrying them away. And I can't help but wonder, I can't help but wonder if the neighbor as the woman is walking away with her jars, I want that, you know what, she snapped. I can't help but wonder if the neighbors wondered if she had lost some of her senses. Who borrows jars to put oil in them when they have no oil? And please notice also, it says here, the directive was go around and ask how many of the neighbors? All of the neighbors. Imagine going to every neighbor around. I don't know how many she had. Let's say that she had half a dozen or a dozen. Every time she had to go, and perhaps there were at least one or two, maybe all of them inquired, what are you going to do with them? And she had to give them an answer. But it had to be difficult. It had to be difficult for her to go and do this very difficult thing. Couldn't have been easy borrowing people's empty jars. In fact, I, I, the question is, why would she have to borrow? Why would she have to borrow any jars at all? I mean, why borrow any jar at all? Why not just take that one small jar that she had, the one that was in her house? Now, we know, we know what the directive is, right? We know that she's going to, and she knew that she was going to pour it into all the jars, and as each one is filled, right? So the promise is already in the words. It hasn't happened yet, but the promise is there. It says, as each one is filled, put it to one side. Why, why do it that way? Why not, if, if there's going to be a miracle beginning with this little, why not just place that jar on the shelf and then, wouldn't it be easier, and then when you need oil to pay off some debt or to do some cooking or to put some, rub some into a wound or to, for future provision, why not just take it off the shelf and fill up the empty jars that we already have, right? I mean, th that would make sense, right? That would, and, 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 and why not just do it that way? That's that very special jar. It just keeps on pouring. just keeps on pouring. Why not do it that way? Well, I got thinking about this. 
about why would she have to borrow empty jars from the neighbors. Had it been an endless supply, had she just had that one jar that was an endless supply, that small jar, because I understand how culture works then and now, that one small jar would quickly receive the glory that was meant for God. Now think about this. If she had that one special jar that just kept pouring, you know what would get the attention? It would be the special jar. And she'd put it, I don't know, nothing goes into that house, just oil comes out. And they would find, people would find eventually about her special jar. And, and, and boy, then, then they would start saying, oh, what about, you know, Mrs. McGillicuddy's special, whatever her name, well, that, well that's Irish. So she would, uh, Mrs. Asher, right? That's a good Jewish name. Uh, Mrs., Mrs. Asher's special jar. People would hear about it and these people who were given, the people around in this culture who were given to idolatry anyway, would begin to lift up and make big significance of that special jar. <laughs> Centuries would go and some, during some crusade, somebody would grab it and go stick it in a church in France someplace, and there it is, Mrs. McGillicuddy's special jar of oil. Interesting, isn't it? That's one reason. I think another reason why it wasn't an endless supply that it was supposed to use other people is perhaps she was to borrow the jars so that her children could be involved in the miracle. I remember hearing this when I was a boy for the first time and, and we got to act it out and I got to be one of the kids, myself and a kid named Lyndon. We were the two sons that went around knocking on doors borrowing people's jars. I remember this. And I, and, and I thought about that again when I, was, when I was reading this story and how I wonder how it affected her children because we know that her sons later on are involved. Apparently they were old enough to, but I wonder how it affected them when they saw the miracle of going and borrowing jars. Now we don't know the rest of the story. She's not mentioned again, but I, I do know this. I do know this that I'm confident of this, for the rest of their lives, those young men, those sons of hers, they remembered the miracle. For the rest of their lives, they would tell the story, even when they were old men, they would tell their children and their grandchildren, I remember when God used us in a miracle and I went out with my brother or my mom and we borrowed empty jars. I carried empty jars and Later on, I moved jars full of oil. I can't help but wonder if one of the reasons why this direction was there was so that the generation that followed could also experience and see the power of God. To show the next generation the connection between obedience and faith. Some of you are in a difficult place right now and you need a miracle. Some of you are facing something that is as insurmountable as this woman's dilemma was. And I want to encourage you, allow your children to see the power of God demonstrated. Some of you are looking at this and going, I can't even tell the kids, it's so difficult. Listen, you let your kids know not only the need, but you also show them the power of God. And I promise you that for the rest of their lives, 
they will look back. I remember as a kid, my parents sharing with me some of the challenges that they were going through. Some of them I heard later on, but I saw the power of God demonstrated in my family, even as a little boy, and it affected me. And there are some of your children or grandchildren that need to see the power of God demonstrated in your life, and that's one of the reasons why you're going through what you're going through right now. So you will not point to the small amount that you have, but you'll point to the power of God and say, look what God did. And God's going to use them. Maybe, perhaps it was to borrow, perhaps they borrowed jars from the neighbors to show them God's power. So that in the, in the days following this event, they would hear how God used them. Do you know that God's power demonstrated in your life is not just for your life? When God heals you, it's not just for you. When he provides for you, it's not just for you. When he protects you or directs you, when he heals you, it's not just for you. It's also to, for others around you to see the power of God is still, is still happening, that the power of God is still for today, that the, that the compassion behind God's power can still operate in your life and in their lives. God wants to receive the glory for what he does in your life, and other people must know it. Why? Why not just one miraculous event after another for just, you know, the rest of her life, this wonderful... No, God said, through Elisha, go to all of your neighbors and borrow the jars. It couldn't have been easy to borrow empty jars from neighbors who didn't know the entire plan but she did as directed, and in so doing, she demonstrated her faith in God. Let me say that again. In going to her neighbors, the miracle still has not happened. This is verses 3 and 4. It still has not happened yet, but in just going and borrowing the jars before the miracle happened, this is the, one of the most important parts of this story, in just going and borrowing the jars demonstrated that she trusted in God. She did something before the miracle came. Verse 5, she left him, she left Elisha, and afterwards she shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and it says she kept pouring. Now, again, there's, the details are, are not included here for whatever reason. But I want you to picture that, that woman, and she's got this big container, jar, an empty jar in front of her. Uh, we don't know how many. We know that there were many. But I want you to imagine her opening up that very special little amount that she had. And she's standing over that empty container Do you know the most difficult jar that she ever filled up in her life was that first jar? Now again, I don't know how many jars there were, but let's say there were 50. I promise you, it doesn't give the details, but I promise you, filling up jar number 50 was a lot easier than filling up jar number one. Do you know why? Because if this is all you have, 
and you put something from a small jar into a big jar, you know what's going to happen? It's going to coat that, isn't it? You're going to lose something. If this doesn't work, then at the end, I'm going to have less than I had at the beginning. I'm not only going to have a little, I'm just going to have just a little of a little. I believe that one of the most important parts of this story, though it's not recorded, was when she stood over that empty container and she began pouring that first time. Now let's bring it back to you and I. When God says to you and to me, I want you to give something, and you go, I don't have very much of of something, but God says, I want you to give of something. It may be finances, it may be time, it may be abilities. It may be opportunities. <laughs> and God says, give it. The hardest part is that first time. We say, Lord, I, I don't know. I don't have very much. It seems like this is a waste. This goes against everything in me. But here's the thing. If she wouldn't have filled, it's pretty basic. If she wouldn't have filled up jar number one, she would have never filled up jar number 50. first one was the most difficult. It says, they brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. Uh, Wouldn't you love to see this replayed? (laughs) I'd love to see this replayed. She kept pouring. She kept pouring. By the way, again, I'm just going to say this. I'm confident that This miracle would not have happened if the indebted widow had resisted. If she would have said, I can't do this or I won't do this, then the miracle would have never happened. See, here's the thing. Every person here, we all want if you, if you believe in the power of God, if you not only have, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you know, because it's truth, and you know that God works miracles today, every one of us then wants a miracle. But here's the thing. We often want miracles on our terms. We want miracles our way. We want miracles that are convenient. We want miracles that are abundant. We want miracles our way but it says that she kept pouring verse 6 when when all the jars were full she said to her son bring me another one but he replied there is not a jar left then the oil stopped flowing again just just picture this she's she's going around and she's she's pouring each one of these and she's pouring and she's pouring i i don't know i don't know how it was i don't think she tipped it back i think she says get another one quick and she ran it over and a line went over there I, that's what I would do. I would just keep pouring, man. This thing might stop. I'm just bring another one, <laughs> bring another one. I can't, man. She's yelling at the kids faster. Bring another one. This thing's running over the top. Bring another one quick. And the kids, I mean, pulling everything in. They're bringing in soap dishes. They're the dog dish. They don't have a dog. They ate the dog. They bring in the dog dish. I mean, they they pour everything in there. Everything that can hold oil. Pour another one. And finally, the kids say, "We don't have any left. <laughs> There's nothing left." not a jar left 
She dipped it back, and it stopped flowing. I, I don't know. I, I, again, I'm, I'm reading some things in here, but just human nature, she would put it on the shelf a little while, try it again. Nothing. The miracle's size was connected to the size of their preparation for the miracle. The miracle's size or the dimension of the miracle was connected to the size of this woman and her family, the size of their preparation for the miracle. Now that's huge. You see, we we believe in the miraculous, but do we believe in the preparing for the miraculous? Do, do we believe that, that, that God heals? Yes. Do we believe that God delivers? Yes. Do we believe that God provides? Yes. That, that God protects? Yes. That, that God works miracles of nature? Yes, I believe all of that. But what about preparing for the miracle? What kind of miracle do you need? Well, the first thing that we think of, like this woman often, is financial. Are you preparing for that? Again, we could go around this room. I know some of your stories. I've known you for a long time. Some of your stories, boy, I, 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 I know. I, <laughs> I, know the, I, I know about the persons who were without work and said, we have nothing but we just lost our job, but we're going to tithe on that last check even though all of a sudden we have nothing. And then God provided. They prepared for a miracle. I, 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 know, that, I know that there are, there are some here who have ex- seen and experienced relational miracles. God healing a relationship between uh, parent and child or, or sibling or, or because, be, between uh, former partners. Or, uh, but I also know that people said, you know, be, before the miracle of healing happens in this, i got to call this person up and say, I don't know what happened, but I love you and I'm sorry and we're going to have lunch and I'm buying. Well, I don't like that. I just want God to change their heart. Well, he may use you in preparing for the miracle. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be as hard as going to the neighbors and asking for for. for for jars, empty jars to put oil in when you don't have hardly any oil at all. It's going to be that difficult. There are some of you that you're, 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 you're praying, God, work a miracle. I need a new job or a different job. And, and I don't know what it is, but God is speaking to you to do something. You're saying, well, I, that's too hard to do that. I don't want to do that. Well, you're wanting the miracle your way, but if God tells you to do something that even if it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, do it because you need to prepare for the miracle. You need to get in the position. If she would have said, hey, listen, I believe you, Elisha, but you know what? I'll just fill what I have in the house. Well, then she would have filled up everything that was in the house, but she wouldn't have had very much. But the, the miracle size was connected to the size of their preparing for the miracle. So, end of miracle. It happened. I mean, they got all this, they got all this oil. 
Again, I want to see this replayed when I get to heaven. I mean, there's oil everywhere. There's oil. They're slipping and sliding on oil. There's so much oil. End of the miracle, but not end of the story, because verse 7 records the rest of the story. She went and told the man of God, and he said, and he gave, now, now he gives three more directions. He gave some before. Now some more directions. Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So it's interesting, isn't it, that there were directions before the miracle came that were dependent upon her, um, them, receiving, experiencing the miracle. And then once the miracle came, now there's more directions. And there's really three parts uh, to this. Uh, first of all, he said, go and sell the oil. Go and sell the oil. In other words, <clears throat> don't, don't, don't keep it. This is not special oil. It's just oil. Go and sell the oil. Um, I'm sure that she probably kept some, you know, maybe filled up the jar that she had, but he said, go and sell the oil. Do something with it. Put it, into, put it to work. And, and so she went and she sold it. I'm sure she did. And then the, the second part of the direction was, was pay your debts. Now, I, again, I've read this many times, but only until recently did I really focus in on that he said, pay your debts. Pay your bills. As I mentioned earlier, we don't know how they got into debt. Uh, reference, it's referenced as her husband's indebtedness. We don't know how they came into it. But the direction was, pay your debts. Now, I know that this, we could elaborate on this much more on another occasion, another time, but if you have a debt, pay your debt. If you have the means and, and God's worked to pay your debt. If, if the money's there, then, then, then pay it off. I, I, I need to touch on this because this relates to our culture. Oftentimes today, when someone gets into debt, they demonize the person or the organization to which they're indebted. They think, well, if, if, if God would just destroy them, then I wouldn't owe them anything. If you, <clears throat> I'm going to get very real here. If you, if you rent a home or an apartment, then you need to pay the rent. Uh, if you if have a mortgage, you need to pay the mortgage every month. Say, well, I, I, what if I don't have... As God works miracles, pay it. If you, if, you, if you buy a car and you buy it on payments, don't get angry at the company if they repossess your car because you agreed to do it. Pay your debt. I know in our culture, it's like, well... It's the bank's fault, or it's the business's fault, or it's the landlord's fault. It's, it's the utility company. They turned off my power. No, you didn't pay your bill, so just pay your debt. I know that sounds, that's kind of harsh to some people, but it's biblical. Sell it, get the money from it, pay your debt, and then live on the rest. Which, again, stuff for another time, but 
there's, there's a principle here as well. That, that set it aside because there's going to be another hard time. And there's something about living within our means right, right here. Don't, don't incur more debt. We serve a miracle-working God. We serve a miracle-working God. I shared this last week how the Bible begins with a miracle. Creation, I mean, that's a miraculous thing. Uh, God spoke everything into existence and then he formed man and breathed into him. That's everything that we see, everything that we are. It was all created. That's a miracle. Throughout the Bible, you see him working all kinds of miracles, different categories. And at the very end of the book, you see this miraculous event where Christ comes and gathers all of his people from throughout time and we go live in a new heaven and a new earth and that too is miraculous. Throughout the Bible, we see a miracle-working God, one kind of miracle after another. I have to add this though, the greatest miracle, I believe the greatest miracle that surpasses even creation itself is what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He saved us. Now, that's the greatest healing ever. There are many of you who have experienced salvation through Jesus Christ. You, you know he's come in, he's begun to change you, and, and you, you surrendered your life to him, and, and nothing has ever been the same since then. It's the greatest miracle that will ever happen. But I want you to know that God still works miracles today, but he uses us in the process. You'll find that in almost every miracle in Scripture. Or man or woman had a very small part, and it was God's power. But our little or our nothing combined with God's power equals enough. I want you to pray for miracles. And some of you are. Some of you did this morning. I want you to pray for miracles. But I also want you to prepare for a miracle. It will not be glorious. In fact, the direction may be very difficult. But it will put you into the position to experience that miracle from God. So I want to pray with you now. I want to pray with you in these closing moments of this service. I want to pray that God will work a miracle in your lives, but in response to your obedience to him. I want you to pray for a miracle but I want you to prepare for a miracle. Would you stand with me across this room, please? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Before we go any further, I, I want to give an invitation to any person here who's not yet experienced that most wonderful of miracles, and that is a living relationship with Jesus Christ. If this morning you're here and you're not sure if you were to die today that you would go to heaven, I want you to be sure. I want you to begin that relationship. If that's you here this morning, before we go any further, before I pray for any other need, I want you to begin that, experiencing that, that miracle. But it's going to take something on your part, and that is you.
to identify your need and say, I need him. Is there anyone here that just with, with everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anyone here that would just lift up your hand and, and also open your eyes and catch my eyes so that I can pray with you? Is there anyone here this morning? I just want to give you the opportunity. I want you to be bringing people who don't yet know him because we're going to give this invitation again, of course. Is there anyone here? Now, continuing in an attitude of prayer, there are some here that you really need a, a miracle of God. In fact, I would dare say that there are some of us here, the majority of us here would face something that is bigger than what we can handle. And you need God to work a miracle of some sort. Healing, delivering, providing, protecting. You need a miracle. I want to pray with you. If that's you, just very right where you are, just say, you know, just agree with me in prayer on this as, as I lead in prayer. That, that, that God will, will do his work within us in, our, in response to our obedience to him. Now, Lord, we stand before you, and I thank you for your word. This event that happened so long ago in the ministry and in the life of Elisha, again, it is not there by mistake. There's a purpose in it. It's to show us that there is a connection between our obedience to you and your miraculous demonstrated to us. So Lord, in these moments ahead and even in the days ahead, would you speak to us? Show us what we must do. And regardless of how menial or even unusual it might seem, I pray that we would be obedient to your leading. It made no sense to borrow empty jars from questioning neighbors. It made no sense to pour out a little jar into a big jar. But we know that because of that obedience, the miracle came. So Lord, even if it is that menial, and difficult and stretching I pray that we would be people who are obedient and then Lord we will if you direct us then you have something planned if you direct us then we then, then we have to believe that you have something planned and so help us Lord we give ourselves to you and we thank you all that you're going to do. Help us, Lord, to pray for the miracle, but also prepare for it. Help us to be in that right place, obedient to you. Thank you, Lord. Pray this for every person here today. Thank you, Jesus, for giving yourself for us so that we might have new life. Thank you for dying on that cross, being raised from the dead. What a miraculous event. Hallelujah. It gave us new life. Now, Lord, I pray you'd empower us and strengthen us and keep us and hold us and use us for your glory. And may the neighbors around see what you've done in us. 
May generations that follow us see what you, you did, Lord, in our family so that even generations to come will declare the things of God. I pray this, Lord, for every person here, and we thank you. We pray it in Jesus' name. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and in the power, the miraculous power of the Lord Jesus Christ.